Well, uh, we are in our Acts series. You guessed it. And uh, we're moving on. We're jumping into, we're in chapter 13 now. We're really making our way through this thing. And uh, um, I'm going to read uh, the, the scripture here in just a, in just a minute, but I kind of wanted to set us up. Uh, today, we're talking about spiritual warfare. And, and uh, I don't know about you, but this is something that doesn't come naturally to us here. In, oh, I'll speak personally. It doesn't come naturally to me here in the West, growing up a good Canadian. The idea of us fighting our, ball- you know, our battles against principalities and darkness as opposed to, it's just, I don't have a lot of frames of reference for spiritual warfare. And in the book of Acts, there's a lot of that. And when they seem to advance the kingdom, which is what the book of Acts is chiefly about, it's the acts of the apostles, advancing the kingdom of heaven through the power of the Holy Spirit, um, there's a lot of spiritual warfare that happens. And they seem pretty convinced that what's going on is that the Holy Spirit, by his power, is the one moving the ball down the field. If you really want to... there's some debate about like, who's the main character of Acts? Because it kind of bounces around a little bit. And we've been talking about this. The main character of Acts is the Holy Spirit. He just has this sort of reticent role in the background and he's behind everything that's going on. And so you'd think that if the Holy Spirit is the one doing all the stuff, you're going to wind up having a lot of conversations about this thing called spiritual warfare, where the kingdom of heaven is pushing back the kingdom of darkness or self. And this is, the story today is kind of one of those really obvious examples of, of when that happens. So I'm excited to talk about it. I think there seems to be uh, three sort of basic approaches to spiritual warfare, at least that I can surmise um, in our culture. And the first one would be kind of like we're agnostic about it. It's like, yeah, it's kind of out there. I'm sure there's something, there's some kind of spiritual realm that goes on. But mostly I just kind of ignore it. And it doesn't really matter all that much anyway. You know, we're just, it's out there and I'm sure stuff's going on. And um, I don't know, maybe some of you have read like Frank Peretti books growing up about, you know, heavenly angel battles going on up there and it's all distant and very sort of science fiction-y and doesn't really apply that much. But I guess it's in there, so we got to acknowledge it. We're kind of agnostic about it. Uh, The other one is like we're aware, but it's, uh, we're aware of it, but it doesn't, play a huge role, where it's a bit of a game, and it's them, some things we can do, and it's for special weekends, <laughs> you know, special weekends where we really want to go for it, and we're aware of it, but it's a little bit, you know, it's kind of optional, and it doesn't carry a lot of weight. This is kind of the one that I'm, maybe I fall into a lot. It's like, yeah, I mean, there's moments for that, right, guys? I'm aware of it. I would argue that the biblical view of what's going on with spiritual warfare and this whole spiritual realm, is that it actually needs to deeply affect us. That there's an effect that it has that's actually so essential to the advancement of the kingdom. And so it's not just an awareness, it's a intrinsic, essential awareness, and everything we're doing is flowing through that. That would be the most biblical argument. Not sure that's my experience all the time. So how do we engage in the third one? Here's why, um, I'll read the passage in a second, but I just want to set up why this is a challenge for me and maybe you can resonate with me. Here's why spiritual warfare can be a challenge for me is because as soon as, a, as soon as I engage in that way of thinking about my faith, maybe you've noticed this, but what happens immediately is everything becomes very black and white. Like if you're going to acknowledge that there's a spiritual battle going on, there's like two sides 
It's very clear. It's very cut and dry. And it's no, there's not a lot of gray in spiritual warfare. It's like light and dark. <laughs> it's just the kingdom of light and it's exposing darkness. And it's not a nuanced idea. And a lot of the time we can kind of get into some very fun, intellectual, thoughtful, emotional journeys about our faith. And those are all really great. And they're really helpful, you know, as we're on our learning about ourselves and who Jesus is and all these things. Then you start talking about spiritual warfare and it's like, oh man, this is just an actual war between light and dark with very little nuance. And I guess that's probably why it makes me the most uncomfortable is because it stops being a journey and (laughs) there's less gray in space. It's like, whoa, this is intense. So that's why I find it a challenge to engage in because it's a very anti sort of Western way of thinking. So let's read the passage for today. This is Acts 3, Acts 13. Verses 4 to 12. So this is Paul and Barnabas. Remember last time they get sent, they get commissioned and they get sent by the church in Antioch. So this is like the first missionary journey ever. It's kind of fun. First missionaries being sent out by a church, essentially. This is what happened. And the two of them, uh, uh, the two of them, it's their first journey, were sent on their way by the Holy Spirit and went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at, I like to say salami, and I'm not sure how it's actually pronounced. When they arrived at salami, uh, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. John, John Mark wrote the book of Mark. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There, they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus, or it would be pronounced Bar Yeshua, which directly translates to son of salvation. Yeshua, the word Yeshua means salvation. So Jesus was well-named. Apparently this guy is called son of salvation. Interesting. Who is an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, so like the governor of the area, uh, an intelligent man sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But... Elimus, the sorcerer, for that was his, what his name means, Elimus means sorcerer or magician, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. You will never stop perverting the right, will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Father, um, I ask today as we try to make sense of these kinds of passages for us, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would go before us right now, that your power and your presence would cut away through all the things that we don't understand, all the things that we don't fully grasp and aren't used to, and ask that you would use your perfect word by the power of your Holy Spirit to bring an illumination of who you are and what you long to do and the kingdom that you're seeking to build. We ask for that in Jesus' name here in this room tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.
Okay, let's make a couple observations about what's going on here in this kind of crazy story. Uh, so here's what we can learn in our advancement of the kingdom, in our missionary journey called this Christian life, wherever you're sent to. Uh, the first one that it seems to me is that we can assume that there's going to be some kind of opposition. That we can assume that there's opposition. Uh, hate to break this to you, but the world is actually not some neutral place. I like to think about it this way sometimes, where the world is neutral and gray, and then there's the evil parts, and then there's the good parts, and we spend most of our time living in the gray parts and trying not to go into the dark parts and trying to go into the light parts, but the world is all neutral and gray. That's not the story the Bible teaches. The story the Bible teaches is that there's a kingdom of earth, like the kingdom of, I don't know, sin and self and flesh and earth. It's kingdom number one that's bound for destruction because it's all messed up. Then there's the kingdom of heaven. There's two. There's just two. And so when we go on our missionary journeys, advancing the kingdom of heaven, it's very logical to assume that you're going to bump up against this other kingdom because that's what's happening because there's only two. Remember how it gets so awkward whenever you start talking about spiritual warfare here, just black and white, two kingdoms, no gray, just assuming that another kingdom is going to be confronted. And so this is, I mean, we talked about this before, but it's a, if we go around being Christians and advancing the kingdom of heaven, there's a bit of an assumption of going, there's probably some, going to be some opposition coming my way. That'd be logical. If there is a Lord and a Savior who turns out to be very good, but, you know, maybe people don't know that yet, uh, that's actually going, hey, knock, knock, knock. I want to be in charge. The kingdom of heaven is coming. Um, and then it's a, there'd be a very logical response to go, no, thank you. I'm already in charge. I'm fine. No problem. Like, we're, we're good. I don't want that. And there's a very logical kind of opposition that happens. And so I, man, don't you guys just love being liked? I just love being liked. I hate being the bearer of bad news. I hate being any, I hate being in opposition. I hate confrontation. You all probably resonate with me. And it's a little bit sobering to go, okay, I'm bringing a word and a message about a coming kingdom that's in opposition to the other one. All right, cool. It's good news, right? We gotta remind ourselves why it is. But for a second there, you're like, oh my goodness, this is just, it's confrontative. So if, if, you're, if we're always liked and there's no opposition or confrontation in your life when it comes to this, there's kind of a reason to go, hey, am I like just agreeing with the spirit of the age? Like, am I just kind of in agreement with, I mean, don't you think the enemy would just love to paint everything gray? That'd be like my number one plan. If I was Satan, everything's gray. <laughs> and I just, that'd, that'd be my number one plan. And I like to live there because it's a non-confrontative sort of environment. So, there's opposition. And in this story, it's, it's just one of those stories where there's just, but they come to preach the gospel and some guy goes, nope, don't do that. <laughs> like that's, that's not in my best interest that this gospel is being preached right now. You know, this sorcerer guy. So the second observation is that what we see in this passage is that with the opposition that comes their way, they, Paul and Barnabas, chiefly Paul in this story, they actively resist it. Like they push back at it. They engage it. They directly <laughs> resist the opposition. It's a, it's a dramatic story. And uh, one of the things that we could call this is it's like it's a power encounter. 
there is a power struggle going on in this story. And it feels foreign to me, the way that this story happens, but that's what's going on. There's like a full-on power encounter. So the question that I wanted to ask us today is why would we step into a life that has power encounters in it? Why would we step into like a mission that, that requires <laughs> conflict and opposition between two kingdoms? Like, why is that good news? Why would we sign up for something like that? And I don't know about you, but when I think about the Christian life, the thing that comes more to mind, and for good reason, is this the idea that we're all peaceful, pseudo-pacifist love muffins that just, I don't know, that's more, that's when I, like, that's, that's what makes more sense to me. We're just, we're cool. We're peaceful. We're chill. We just let things happen to us. And hey, you, make, you, make a, you could preach a pretty good sermon on pacifism or I, you love your enemies, all that kind of stuff. And then we read a story like this and Paul's like, you child of the devil, you, he just is at a dude publicly. I'm like, wow, I don't live like that. I like the peaceful, I like the peaceful stuff. I like, let my light shine. So, we're afraid of all this stuff. I think because we've seen spiritual stuff is scary, it doesn't make sense to us. We've seen people use it for bad stuff, bad means. Power is not a thing that we're really comfortable with. But uh, I want to see the kingdom of heaven advance, right? Like, I want to see the kingdom of heaven advance, the one that's being led, the, the Holy Spirit's leading the charge of that one. For those of you that were at camp last week, this is the purple dotted line growing. Okay, so this is... This is what's happening. And the Holy Spirit's doing that. And we kind of have no choice but to go, this is a power encounter between two kingdoms. So what's our role in it? I, I want to know, and this is what I hope to get to, the, to get to in the next few minutes, is how do we know when a spiritual power is actually necessary? When we're living our life, how do we know it's like, oh, this is, this is a spiritual power moment. This is like a two kingdoms clashing kind of moment. This is, this is a moment that requires the Holy Spirit's power and presence. How do we know when those are? What are those? Okay, well, I think it's two things that we see in this story. The first one is we see a deconstruction of the kingdom of sin and self. We see a wrecking ball being taken to this guy, like this sorcerer dude. We, take, we see a wrecking ball being taken to his kingdom, to one that he's building. So there's like a deconstruction. That's kind of the first one. Yeah, a deconstruction of kingdom of self. So a sorcerer, just some backstory, it's someone who's using spiritual power, frameworks for their own selfish gain, for their own personal gain. And Paul just calls it. He's like, you're a trickster. You're full of deceit. I see what you're doing. This is about you. You have self-interest. Uh, and when we think of sorcerers, I'm like, I don't know, I haven't bumped into a sorcerer recently. But What's being called out in this person is you have a selfish motivation orientation and you are using whatever power is in your grasp to get ahead in life and build your own kingdom. And, uh, you know, we go, oh, tisk tisk, you know, sorcery, that's so strange and foreign. I use spiritual means and religious frameworks and structures to build my own kingdom all the time. I, it's actually very easy for me to build my own kingdom using, I don't know, all these kinds of frameworks and structures. And sometimes people call it out to me and he's like, hey, what, what are you building? Whose kingdom are you building right now? Are you building yours? 
you're building yours, it's actually really easy to build your own kingdom, even inside the church, and use all this stuff. So Paul goes so far as to say you're a child of the devil because you have self-interest. That's so. That's a really strong black and white statement. Uh, and there's a play on words here, which we miss in, uh, in the English. But you know how his name is son, he calls himself son of salvation? Paul's like, you're not a son of salvation, you're a child of the devil. Like, you, you aren't a son of that. You're a son of something else. Like, you're part of a different kingdom. And what Paul is saying here is that salvation is actually freedom from your own self-rule. Salvation is freedom from, your, from having self-interest be the thing you're thinking about all the time. That's salvation. You're in charge of your own kingdom. You're a bad leader. Salvation is the removal of you as the leader and the, and the installment of Jesus as one. And so self-interest and selfishness is described as like that's his qualification for being called a child of the devil because that's what Satan is doing. That's what he's doing all the time. He's consumed with himself and building his own thing. And Paul's like, I'm just going to call it for what it is. That's what you're doing. So black and white. So I, I think this. I, man, I feel like selfishness in my heart is demonically charged. I think it is. I think when I think about myself, the enemy is having a heyday in my life. And I love this. It's so helpful for me to think about the idea that the enemy's goal in my life is not to put himself as the person in charge, because that's a silly idea. Instead, he just has to put me in charge. That's all he's got to do. Because we're designed to be ruled by our Heavenly Father, our Lord and Savior. Like, that's what we're designed for. So any, anything different than that is now on the wrong path. He's very smart. I think I make a great ruler. I, I think about the cartoon image of a devil on your shoulder. I'm like, ah, that guy probably has bad ideas. But me, on the other hand, I've got great ideas for how to lead my life and how to get where I want to go and create a kingdom that I can imagine. I think that's a, that's a lie from the enemy. From, let's look at the first lie. It's the first lie is you can be a better God than God. It's like nothing's changed from Adam and Eve, which is always a discouraging thing to think about. We're like, man, I'm just the same. So Paul opposes his self-interest like super directly, and he's like, the, Lord, the Lord's hand is against you. The Lord's hand is against you and your self-interest. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, you can put that Corinthians verse up. This is what he's doing. This is what he's waging. He says this in a, in a different writing of his. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not with weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Take every thought and make it obedient to Christ. That is a very all-encompassing mission for divine power to try and accomplish. Divine power, the Holy Spirit, is actively trying to take every thought you have and submit it to Christ's lordship. That is an all-encompassing goal. That is a kingdom of heaven advancing. There's not a lot of gray in that. And he's like, we're not waging war. We're not just, we're not waging war as the way the world does. 
We're waging war with like the spirit, like divine supernatural power. What, what does it say? Demolishing arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That's every selfish thought <laughs> it's, that the spirit is declaring war on. Oh my goodness. Jesus takes his mission to abolish other kingdoms very seriously. There must be something deeply flawed about the kingdoms we create. So Paul is seeing that every anti-God thought requires actual divine power to take captive. Wow. So what does this look like for us? Because uh, it means it, so it sounds so harsh. This whole, like, he's just a very loud argument and it's in front of people and it's like, there's almost like there's name calling and it's just very abrasive. And I, I get that we don't find ourselves in very many situations like that where that sort of thing is called for. Maybe you have, actually. I don't know. That'd be fine. But it's not a typical day in, day out. So we got to do a little bit of work to have it apply to us. We don't fight these fights as the world fights. And you got to stay with me for a second because what's actually going on here in this passage is Paul is actually operating with a ton of humility. It doesn't seem that way when you first read it, but let me try to explain to you, and you got to stay with me. What does Paul say at the end of this little, you know, debacle, where he's like, child of the devil, God's against you. You're going to be struck blind temporarily. When is the last time in the book of Acts that someone was struck blind for opposing Jesus' kingdom advancing? Paul. Paul is literally saying, okay, so I've been there with the you building your own kingdom thing. And here's what happens when you build your own kingdom, is God opposes you and you go blind for a couple of days. <laughs> That's what happens. So he's like, I see what you're doing. I've actually been there. I've been there. I've tried to build my own kingdom. I've tried to use religious systems and frameworks to build my own thing. I've tried to oppose the coming king very actively. And he met me and I went blind. And so what's so interesting about this is Paul just has this awareness of like, this is what happens because I'm not different than you. I'm not different than you. And I, in this passage, it's so cool that Luke, who's writing it, goes out of his way to say, Saul, oh, by the way, who is also called Paul, and Paul means little humble. I'm not sure why your husband was named that, but Paul, Paul Morgan, um, it's Paul means little and humble. So Luke goes out of his way to go, what's going on here is Paul in his humility, little Paul, little humble Paul, who's been humbled by an encounter with Jesus, who's been humbled being struck blind by his own self-kingdom building, who's then, been, who's then been, whose eyes have been opened by the power of the Holy Spirit, because that's what happened. You guys remember, this is like 10 weeks ago now, but he's, his, the scales fall off his eyes when someone comes and prays for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul is, is out of his own awareness, of his own, out of his own humility of going, man, I know what it's like to build those sorts of things. Uh, don't do that. And, and he's speaking out of humility and compassion to this guy. It doesn't seem that way. It seems very confrontative. But in order to have divine power, you and I have to have a deep awareness of its 
effect on our kingdom of self. And when, when, when Paul, he's a deep awareness of going, oh man, I was going this way and now I'm going this way. It was dark and now it's light. Like I'm, it's a, just a binary thing that, that, that Paul is very aware of. And so out of like compassion and humility, he's going, you're opposing that. And, and the, in the same way, I hope this is making sense, but like in the same way, you and I fight spiritual battles through an awareness of our own deep allegiance and the Holy Spirit winning the battle in our own hearts of uncovering like, oh my goodness, the kingdom of heaven is the real thing that's happening. And when we join Jesus's kingdom and when we let his spirit fill us, there is like sight that happens. Going like, oh, I see the kingdom that's coming, and it's at hand already. This is really, really beautiful. So that's the first thing that we, why is spiritual power necessary? It demolishes kingdoms of self. And we see Paul doing that, and he's doing it in humility, going, man, I've had a kingdom of self, and it was taken over. The second thing that, uh, that we see divine power needed for is the exaltation of Jesus as Lord in its place. So we have a destruction of a kingdom, and then what we have is the gospel preached, and the pre-council actually received the word of the Lord. We don't know what happened to the sorcerer guy. Maybe someone went and prayed for him for scales to fall out of his eyes a few days later. We don't know. But uh, the pre-council accepted the word of the Lord. And this is what I think the Holy Spirit is always doing. The Holy Spirit is always making much of Jesus as king. If you want to have just like a little good base definition of what the, I, I get confused by the Holy Spirit, and I just learned this in a class a few months ago, and I find it, I found it very helpful over the last few months, is that I'm like, what is the Holy Spirit doing? What is he doing today? What's he doing yesterday? What, what is he doing now? He's making much of Christ as Lord of the kingdom that's coming all the time. That's what he's always doing in your life and in the world around us. He's making much of him. And so with Paul, his sight was restored when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's like, wow, I can see what the Holy Spirit is now doing. I can see how the kingdom of heaven is advancing. Do you guys think that you need the Holy Spirit's power to see God's kingdom move? You do. You need the Spirit's power to see it or else it all turns gray. It all turns gray for me. And I go, Lord, remind me of what's really going on. So the more I see the world as two kingdoms, the more power I need. The more I see it, the more I see it as two, mine and his, mine and his. I'm like, whew. I can live in Grayland that doesn't actually exist, but I like to think it does. I can live in Grayland by my own strength quite easily. I can create a lovely little sandcastle in Gray World. I don't need you. I don't need God. I'm doing fine. And then those worlds come collide more and more. And uh, I go, oh my goodness, I need your power to confront the kingdom of self that's in my life. And I need your power to show me what's really going on. And so when we talk about spiritual warfare, I think what, it's, what spiritual warfare is really doing for you and I is it's driving home the point that there's two kingdoms. It's driving home the point that there's two kingdoms that can only be bridged divinely. There's, 
there's two kingdoms that only overlap through God's power. Are you tracking? Like, you don't get there yourself. It doesn't even get revealed to you yourself. God is the one who bridges the two kingdoms. And why I think we like that there's more than two is because we like to think that there's some room in there for me to do some stuff and maybe regress and maybe, you know, build a little thing on my own. And, but if there's two, I'm like, oh my goodness, there's an eternal chasm between them and I need the Holy Spirit. And so what gets opposed, okay? This is, this, this is a story about opposition. Like coming, and what I feel like the enemy is doing is he's opposing the idea. He's opposing the idea that there are, He's like, nope, there's other ways. Nope, there's other ways. And we come along and go, no, there's one. There's one. There's, there's two kingdoms and there's one way for us to make it from one to the other. I don't know how to say it any differently, but this is actually a deeply applicable idea for you and I. So when we engage in life, and this is what I'll end with. When we engage in life and we look around and we go, okay, I, I can advance God's kingdom today, that is a spiritual warfare idea because you can't build that one. You can't build that one. He's building that one. And so then we have this very interesting position of going, okay, then what is my role? And I love Paul's example here. It's like, okay, I'm going to actively oppose everything that's the opposite of that. Like I'm going to directly oppose a different message. If a message is said, that's other than that, I'm going to directly oppose it. And my opposition of it is my testimony. My opposition of it is through spiritual warfare, my heart was transformed. It, was, it took a 180. I didn't do that. My testimony is what I fight. Like it's, it's the, we overcome, you know, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Like we, we engage in this fight. Like the blood of the lamb is the only thing that can bridge this gap. And I have a testimony of that being true in my life and I didn't do it. That's actually spiritual warfare. That's what it is. It's actually not some mystical thing. It's the gospel. It's the thing that's going on. It's the, it's the only means by which we're saved. And so I'd love for us to not be so freaked out by this idea of like, oh no, we're actually engaging in principalities and powers because there's two things being said. One thing's being said is you can have, there's a lot going on. And the other is Jesus is saying, I'm Lord and I, my kingdom is coming and it is good. And Eden is gonna be restored and heaven and earth are gonna be reunited again. That's happening. My Holy Spirit is doing that. My Holy Spirit is doing that. And I'd love to work through my people as I always do to be the ones who are advancing that through their testimony, through their witness of Jesus. In Revelation 12, it just says, they, they just pointed at the testimony of Jesus. That's how the battle was being fought. They're like, that's how it works. That's who he is. That's what he's doing. That's how I was saved. Like they're just, that's spiritual warfare. So I would love for God's kingdom to be advanced in our city. I would love for miracles to happen. I'd love for people from, to move from one kingdom to the next. I can't do that. Have you ever tried to make that happen in your own heart and never, never mind somebody else's? And so as we engage in our relationships with each other and as we engage with people that don't even know him, I just, I have a renewed 
sense of confidence that what's really going on is like, I'm preaching Jesus Christ as Lord because that is the best news in my heart and it's the best news for anybody that, and it is awkwardly binary. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, there's been some opportunities. Some of them happened at camp. Some of them happened since where I'm having some conversations with people and they're wrestling with whether Jesus is gonna be Lord. And it is very apparent to me that this is gonna be a miracle. And I find myself praying in my spirit, being like, Lord, do what only you can do. And I find myself also being so open about my own struggle and brokenness. And I find myself being bold and saying, no, that's a lie. That, that thing that, that you just said, that's not true. That's not true based on what I know about Jesus. And there's a boldness that rises up when you realize that you're, we're bringing people from one place to the next and there's only one thing that can, that can be and that's a miracle. And so I rely on him and I'm going, no, this is, I'm opposing the lies and I'm sharing my testimony and I'm battling against the things that are actually the problem. So I'm gonna invite the worship team up. I love to worship in this regard. And um, I don't know about you, but uh, it's like a huge fight to preach about this stuff. It's like some sweating, it's like really exhausting. And uh, I only had three hours to prepare because dad got sick. <laughs> so it's, this was a challenge today. But, but, but man, do I feel full of passion about this idea. And I look at, I, I'll, I'll circle back to our campus ministers. You guys have time to plug in, keep talking. I'll circle back to our campus ministers. And it is the coolest thing to watch young people walking around on those university campuses as ambassadors of one kingdom with no hope, no hope of that ever making a difference without the power of the Holy Spirit. Like no hope, like looking around, except, except that the Holy Spirit is doing that. The Holy Spirit is doing that so actively. And I'm so proud of them. And anybody else who's on a mission to advance God's kingdom, I'm like, you're, you're living in a spiritual warfare kind of reality. And you're advancing a kingdom of love that's coming and is perfect and is beautiful. So yeah, it's abrasive and it's confrontative, but it's also the best news ever. And so that's what I want for us, Lord. We ask that you would have your way, like have your way in our lives. And I'm sorry for just playing around with spiritual stuff, just playing around with it because it's interesting or maybe I'm bored with it because I'm confused by it. Lord, I pray that we would be people of faith that actually see the miracle of your church growing, that actually see the implausibility of what we're doing and yet the extremeness of your power to do it how small it is for you to bridge the gap between heaven and earth. You can do it. You can do it. And so, Lord, I pray that we would live out our lives as kingdom builders, as, as people who are firmly captivated with your power, convinced of your ability, longing to see you move in power. So, Lord, let there only be let there only be one kingdom that gets advanced. May it not be ours, may it be yours. And I pray that you'd fill us with a full measure of your presence. 
just feel like maybe there's some situations being uh, called to your guys' mind right now that are like, okay, that is opposition against me. There is something coming back at me that is shouting the opposite message of what was just said. Maybe you can think of a situation like that. Maybe you can think of something somebody's saying to you currently. Father, I pray that you would grace us with a humility to fight, not as the world fights, but to fight with a testimony of your blood really making us whole and with a testimony of your spirit really working a miracle in our heart. With a resoluteness that your kingdom really is good. Father, please minister to that place. Please minister. We need your power so desperately. (laughs) For anything life-giving to advance, we need your power. Thank you for your truth and for this story. Amen.